Uh, good morning for those of you who don't know. My name is Peter, and I'm, I'm really um, privileged to come speak to you this morning, um, carrying on our Scent series. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been looking a bit about Jesus in the Gospels and how he starts to send people out on a mission. Um, a few weeks ago, John spoke about Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well and how he meets us as individuals, where we're at, um, where we find ourselves. Um, Jenny then spoke about Jesus in um, Luke, speaking about what we call the Nazareth Manifesto, when he was really going through the ultimate mission of what he was called to, not just coming to die for us, but actually coming that we might live how we might as people be reached, both the poor, the lost, the widows, the healing, the healing the sick, healing the blind, that Jesus is coming to transform life on earth. And then Derek last week talked about the sending of the 12 and the 72 or the 71, or depending on what, what numbers you want to look at. But talking about how Jesus started to send people out and how it was, he was branching out and it wasn't just about these few people he was speaking at. And this morning, we're going to be looking at John 17. Uh, we're actually going to be looking at the whole chapter, um, which is, is quite long, so it can take a few minutes to read through in a minute. But why I want to do that is it, it's a hugely significant um, point um, in the Gospels. Of Jesus really gets to the heart of what he is about, the sense that it's not just about being sent out, but it's about knowing God. We, we know God, and because we know God, we go and want to tell other people about him. Um, just to give some context before we start this um, in John 17, it starts, it's part of a much bigger passage in John, starting in John 13 at the Last Supper, where Jesus starts by washing the disciples' feet, and then really just goes into incredible detail, thinking about everything that he has spoken about. He talks about who they are in him. He talks about the need for him to go so they can have the Holy Spirit. He encourages them and kind of just opens up everything about who he is. So that's where we pick up in John chapter 17, and I've even got my Bible to read from this morning, which is quite exciting. I don't usually do this. I usually write up my iPad and read off there, but I thought I'm actually going to read from the Bible. Um, right, so here we go. John 17. After Jesus said that, so after everything else Jesus has been speaking to them about, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that you may know the one and true God, Jesus and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them, for I gave them the word you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None have been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture will be fulfilled. So referring there to Jesus Iscariot. 
I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you, my prayer is not that you have taken them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's talking about all of us there. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as, I have loved, as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and you will continue to make, I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Oh, I'm impressed I got through that, to be honest. It's a lot of words. But um, just before we go through this, what I want to do is just pray for us, because there is there's so much to unpack, and we've, we've got a short amount of time this morning, but I really think there is something really powerful in there that Jesus wants to speak to us this morning. So let's just pray. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you that we can be here this morning. We can gather here in person. We can gather on Zoom and YouTube, where, wherever we are and that we can just um, hear from you this morning. Father, I just pray as we look into this passage this morning that you would just speak through me, that you would use these words to untouch our hearts and minds, that we can know you better. Amen. Um, this morning, I did my usual morning routine, which was I um, woke up probably a bit too early and didn't get enough sleep, and the first thing I do is I grab my phone. How many grab your phone the first thing you do when you wake up? A few people have slyly put their hands up, not really want to admit it. I know I shouldn't. It's the kind of thing I will tell my kids, don't do. Don't go to bed with your phones and the rest. But it's the last thing I look at at night and the first thing I look at this morning, in the morning, which is terrible. And then what I do is I get on Twitter, which is probably the worst thing you can do in the morning and see what have I missed over, over the night. But I came across this little thread this morning, which I thought was great. And it was, I'm a class teacher. A class one teacher said, she asked her class this week, if they could travel anywhere in time, where would they go and what would they do? And these are some of the answers she got. A little girl called Alice said, I would go to after school. <laughs> Not sure that says about the teaching going on, but... Um, a girl called Katie said, I would go to the park. Jack said, I would go back in time really far. I quite like that. Toby said he would meet his mum as a baby. It's quite nice. Um, Emma said, I would take medicine back to old times. That's, I thought that was, that's quite a good one. Um, Mickey said, breakfast. <laughs> um, Ravi said he would go to see his grandpa again, which is very nice. Rosie said she would go to the cinema to see Hotel Transvania 2. I'll be honest, if I was going to go back in time, I would probably go back to like the opening of the first Star Wars or something, not Hotel Transvania 2, but there you go. Um, Wendy said, I think we all know a Wendy, 
I wouldn't. I don't want to. And Ben said, I would go to New York with the dinosaurs. I think he might be disappointed what he finds, but there we go. But I'll ask you that question this morning. If you could go back in time, where would you go? Who would you want to see? What would you want to see? Maybe you'd want to go see someone from history. And um, this week, I did a quick Google of famous people in history, because I wanted to see what Google came up with. And these were the lists of the top people. Abraham Lincoln, Albert Einstein, Charles Darwin, Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, and Queen Victoria. We get one female in that list. And I thought, OK, what about ancient history? Because most of those aren't that far off. So what about Alexander the Great, or Genghis Khan, Boadicea, Cleopatra? See, these are all famous military leaders and conquerors and writers. But see, if I was to travel back in time, I wouldn't want to go see any of those people. The place I would go is this evening that Jesus is speaking in, where he is sitting with his disciples having a meal and opening up everything of who he is to them. They have spent the last three years following this man around, learning from him, seeing him, seeing him do amazing things. And here he is pouring his heart out to them. Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, writes this. Jesus left few traces of himself on earth. He wrote no books or even pamphlets. A wanderer, he left no home or even belongings that could be enshrined in a museum. He did not marry, settle down, and begin a dynasty. We would, in fact, know nothing about him except for the traces he left in human beings. And that was his design. The law and the prophets had focused like a beam of light on the one who was to come, and to know that light, as if hitting a prism, would fracture and shoot out in human spectrum of waves and colors. And that's what I've called this talk this morning, a prism of light, because that's what we see here in this moment. Jesus is just about to finish his earthly ministry. He's, he's completed all he came to do, all he came to say, all he came to teach the disciples so that they could go into the world as a prism and shine his light to the world. They were ordinary people. These were tax collectors and um, fishermen. But he spoke to them with truth and conviction. He spoke with clarity, yet cryptically at times. He had challenged the authorities. He'd criticized um, spiritual leaders at the time. He'd drawn crowds of ordinary people. He performed wonders and miracles. And here they are sitting with him, having all of this laid out in front of them. I call it the most powerful after-dinner speech ever known. See, this whole section of John takes place over five chapters, this one evening. It's about 25% of John's whole gospel. If you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to see what he's about, what he came to do, this is where you will find him in John. Now, we recently finished a really excellent series on the Lord's Prayer. However, I have a confession to make about that series. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It should really be called the Disciples' Prayer, because it's the prayer that he taught them to pray. Here, in this passage, we have the longest prayer recorded that Jesus ever said. This is where we see him praying. This is where we see who he is, what his purpose was, what he wanted his followers to do. It's sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer. It's an idea that Hebrews even picks up. We're talking about Jesus as our great high priest. Because priests are people that are intermediaries between us and God. 
For the Israelites, they needed a priest because that unity, that union between man and God had been broken. We needed someone to step into the gap. But even in their system of priesthood, there was a problem. Even the high priest couldn't enter the Holy of Holies, but at one point in the year, and it was even amongst them wrapped up in all these issues, there was still some form of division between man and God. But here Jesus shows that he really is our high priest because he talks again and again about being in union with God. Here Jesus is praying over disciples, but also he's praying over us. He's praying over us that we may be one with God. If we just go back um, a few verses and looking um, at verse 3, Jesus talks here about eternal life, that this is eternal life, that we may know God. Eternal life isn't something that we look forward to in the future. It isn't something that we hope for. It is something we can have now. It is something that we can grasp and hold on to right here and now because it is to know who God is, to know who Jesus is. It is to be in communion with God just as, he, as Jesus has been in communion with God since the creation of the world. Jesus shows us what his mission is, is to know God, is to know him and to make him known. Again and again, we get this sense of unity throughout it. In fact, as I've read this over and over again and leading up to this, I've kind of found myself stumbling over the world, words I'm quite a bit, because it's quite repetitive in a lot of what it says. But it's talking about that sense of unity, of being in union together. And then we come across this phrase in verse 14 of, not of this world. And it's something I think as Christians we sometimes struggle with and what it really can mean. I remember um, many years ago, I was, I was really privileged as a young boy to um, grow up on the mission field. My parents um, were missionaries mainly in Africa. And I remember when we came back, I was about 12 years old, and we came back to this country. And I'm British, I'm English, um, and I hold on to that very strongly. Um, but when we came back to this country, I didn't sound very English. I had this lovely sort of North Atlantic accent. I didn't look like other people. I had this ridiculous hairstyle that I got rid of after a week when I realized how bad it was. I didn't act like other people did. I kind of felt like I didn't belong, like I wasn't really of this place. But that's not what John's getting at here. The world that he says we are not part of is a world that has rejected who God is. See, we are called to be one with Jesus. We recognize our home is with him. And at times at Christians, that means we will stand out. It will mean at times here on earth, it will feel uncomfortable. We'll see things differently. We won't always act like those around us. If you feel like that, that's okay. Because that's how it's meant to be. That's our calling. But it doesn't mean we abandon this place. We are called into the world to bring God's light, to bring Jesus. That so he can use us as a way of refracting his light, his beauty, into the world. You know, you've heard it. I heard it said sometimes that it says, as Christians we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. But sometimes what we end up finding ourselves is, is that we're of the world, but not really in the world. And we need to be careful that we don't use this as an excuse. We need to be, as Jesus says earlier in the Gospels, we need to shine our light on a hill for all to see. That is what we are called to do. 
And the other thing that's really struck me as I've, I've sort of grappled with this chapter is the sense that I kind of get this image that it's kind of, it, this, is, this is Jesus talking with his father and kind of praying over the disciples and praying for all those who are to come. And it almost feels as if it's like a married couple praying over their children, ready to send them out into the great big world. See, what we actually see in this prayer is a story of the gospel, the story of the Bible. God in unity at the beginning. God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth, including us as humans. And they saw that it was good. But through evil entering the world, humanity's hunger for power and control, our rebellion against God, wanting our own way, we separated ourselves from God. We pulled ourselves away from that union. And God began to enact his redemption for all creation. It started with the calling of Abraham and that all his descendants would be a blessing to the world. It carries on to Moses that brings the law, the good way of living that we can have. But the people turned away and continued to worship other things. And so eventually they're pulled away from the land they were called to. And even after 100 years of returning, there's still a sense that, that something's missing, that the presence of God maybe isn't quite there anymore. And then enters Jesus onto the stage. And over these three years, he's been showing the disciples and teaching them all that he could. Even in that moment, maybe they don't fully understand, but Jesus has done his part. The disciples are almost ready to fly. They're almost ready to be let loose. But there is still one thing they need, and something Jesus has had all this time. God's presence, not just with them, but in them. The wings, the wind underneath their wings so that they can soar. See, the disciples and all those who followed, which is us included, we are not part of this world, but we will be sent into the world. And for some, that may be other parts of the world. We're talking about the fact we'll be um, hearing from Simon and Miriam on Wednesday. You know, they're gearing up to go to Madagascar. And there are people like that who are sent into different parts of the world. There are people here who have been missionaries in other parts of the world before. But for most of us, we're probably more likely sent down our street. Sent to our neighbors, to those we work with, to those we play football alongside, to those that we go to music festivals with. I can tell you from personal experience, I've had the privilege of, of traveling around quite a bit of the world and, and speaking in front of groups of people. And it's much easier doing that when you're not at home than it is doing to your next door neighbor, where it's real, where they see you every day, where you can say something and then they can test it out the next week and how you are living. We are all sent, whether it's our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, at the school gates, at our local sports club, wherever you find yourself, we are sent. We are called to bring Jesus' light. Who we are is determined by who we follow. And we need protecting. That's what Jesus is, is praying for in this passage. Just like a shepherd protects his sheep from the dangers beyond their pen, Jesus is trying to protect his disciples. But now he's handing that job over to the Father and saying, it's your turn now. Send the Spirit. Let's complete the mission that we've started. And as Jesus finishes his prayer, he's arrested, taken before the high priest and Pilate, put on trial, sentenced to death. 
That is Jesus' glorification. Where he's gruesomely nailed to the cross, taking on our sins. When he says, it's now time for me to glorify, that's what he means. And it's on the cross he declares, it is finished. And at that declaration, the curtain in the temple, the curtain that separated the holy from holies to everywhere else, is torn in two. Because at that moment, separation from God is no longer required. Jesus has paid the price. In his glorification, we no longer need to be separated from God. We can be sanctified. That's what Jesus prays here for the disciples, that they would be sanctified. What that means is that we are to be made holy. We describe God as holy, but actually what he's saying is is that we can be holy. In Jesus, we can be cleansed. We can be healed. Our sin is wiped away, and again, we can be in complete union with God. There no longer needs to be a priest, an intermediary between us. All of a sudden, that union that should have been there all the time, that was there at the beginning of creation, can be there once again. In Jesus, we can see and know God fully. And then what we see in the rest of John is what that really means. I'm not going to go into it in any great detail, but I just want to pick up three very um, quick points here. Of three different instances where in um, John's Gospel, you really see what he means about being sent. At the tomb, Jesus appears to Mary, and she mistakes him for the gardener. You can pick this up in um, um, John chapter 20. She sees Jesus, and she doesn't recognize him. She says, you know, you know, what have you done with him? And, and says, you know, just sees him as that gardener. And what you do is you're getting that illusion of back to Eden, back to the garden where it all started. Jesus is beginning to restore the world back to the way it should be. And she is sent to the disciples to declare, I am risen. She is the apostle to the apostles, declaring that Jesus is risen. And that's what we're called to be to go to the world and declare that Jesus is risen. In the, a little bit later on in the same chapter, Jesus then appears to Thomas, who wasn't there in the upper room when he appeared to the rest of the disciples, and he doubts their account and says, no, I don't believe he's really risen. I need to see him for myself. I need to see the wounds in his hands and feet. And John there appears to Thomas, and he says to him, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And we can hold on to that truth. We weren't there. We weren't witnesses. However much I would love to go back and witness it for myself. But blessed are us that we still believe. That we believe the message that passed on and we can go and tell others. And finally, Jesus meets Peter on the beach and they have breakfast together. And I love this image of Jesus resurrected having breakfast with some of the disciples. And this is Peter, who only a few days earlier put in the most extreme pressure, denied even knowing who Jesus was. And Jesus is there quietly restoring him and reminding him what he is called to do. And he says to Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. That is what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to shine a light and to bring God's truth to encourage one another, to build one another up, because we need to be in unity with each other. Jesus talks about that's how the evidence that we are as disciples, that we will love one another. 
And just to finish, I want to go back to um, how Jesus finishes this, his prayer in um, verse 26. He says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself might be in them. Jesus' prayer for us is that we continue his work of making the Father known, of being that prism of light that reflects, reflects his light, the beauty and color of him, into the whole world. That was what the Israelites were called right back to in the beginning in Abraham, that they were a blessing. They were blessed to be a blessing to the world, and that's what we are called to be. We are called to be a prism which reflects Jesus' light into all corners of the world, that we can see the multitude of his beauty that we can know him and be in union with him. And earlier in, the, um, in when Jesus was speaking to them, he talks about the fact that he needs to go because when he leaves, then they can have the Holy Spirit guiding them, protecting them, empowering them. And you see that in Acts very early on where Jesus, um, not with Jesus, when the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples and they go out and they start preaching. And you have people from all around the world coming back to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit is there. And all of a sudden, a movement begins. They knew and were assured of who he was. In the power of the Holy Spirit, they for they could be sent into the world to spread that light. So just to kind of summarize this, and this has kind of dawned on me, it's a phrase I've known a long time, but just this morning kind of hit me is, to summarize this for those of you who maybe have completely lost it or switched off, we're called to know God and to make him known. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is praying here for his disciples. He's praying over them that they would know him intimately and go and make him known. So as we move into a time of worship, I know Caleb's going to come and just um, chat about how we're going to sort of maybe follow this up. My prayer this, prayer this morning for all of us is that we can really know God intimately. We can know Jesus. Knowing that he is for us. Knowing that he loves us. And then we can go and make him known.